privilege for, as Marilyn said, for us to be here and uh, worship with Grace Church and, uh, and to be with our son and his wife and, and at least two of their three kids. Uh, happy Mother's Day uh, to those of you who are mothers and to those of us who made you that way. We did good. I do think, though, that the ladies, the mothers having the coffee and all of the nice pastries, pastries and us having to eat the store-bought cookie, though thank you for the cookies, but I don't think that's right. So uh, those of us who have helped our wives become mothers, I think we ought to at least get to go to the pastry bar, at least go over there and eat something off of that. I mean, you know, come on, it, it, it wasn't you alone. There's only one lady that did that. And uh, she ain't here today, so. <laughs> but anyhow, happy Mother's Day to you. And it's one of the first things I said to my wife this morning, I wanted her to know how much I love her and appreciate her. You know what, I, when Sean asked me to speak uh, I, last year, I was in a motorcycle accident. And um, it wasn't actually that I was drunk or I was on drugs, I was doing both. <laughs> so I don't even remember it. Uh, I just woke up and, you know, I was, I was jacked up. So, uh, you know, I raised my knee. I was sitting upright and I raised my knee and my foot stayed on the pavement. And I realized, ooh, I, I got a problem here that my body shouldn't work this way. And so uh, I wasn't able to go. But I know that a couple of you prayed for me during that time. So whoever you were, thank you very much. Uh, the doctor released me two months early. I was doing so well. And uh, that was just a, just a blessing and an answer to your prayers. And so thank you very much for that. Uh, it means a lot to me. Uh, but I was thinking when Sean asked us to come back this year, I, I, don't, I don't know that I've ever met a mother who said, I, I want to have babies so I can be a crappy mother. I, I, don't know, I don't know that I've ever met a lady like that. I just, I just want to have children so I can be a mean mommy. I want my kids to grow up and not like me. Well, no, moms don't do that. You know, you have children because there's a nurturing desire inside of you, and you want to pass that on to the next generation, uh, whether it's by natural birth or adoption or blended marriage or whatever it may be, but you want to pass that on to them. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's an inner desire that is, that is placed there. Uh, the message today, I just I want to say at the outset, it's primarily geared to mothers. It's Mom's Day, you know. Um, but hopefully there will be application that all of us can make into this subject. And uh, so I want to look at it from that standpoint. But... You ladies, you know, it's, it's in, on your phones and you carry sometimes even hard pictures of your kids in your purses and you sit there and you pull them out and you show them much more than what the rest of us want to look at and yet we sit there dutifully because you are mother and you did go to the gates of death to bring life to this child and we understand that so we want to honor you and we'll sit there and we'll ooh and we'll ah but Every one of you mamas know that your child is the prettiest and the best 
of any ch children you've ever seen. You just, you know that's true. <laughs> yeah. So while I was doing study on my uh, degree for family counseling, I was working on uh, my dissertation, and my dissertation was to find the prettiest, the most perfect baby that was alive on planet Earth. And so I, I, I did a lot of research on this. And I, it, was, it was a difficult task, but I narrowed it down to three. And I have pictures of one of them, and I, I just want to share those pictures with you. So if you put the first picture on, this is of my wife Marilyn and me, and this is 20 days before Sean is born, okay? You see what he did to her? <laughs> he's been doing that ever since. And if he's not doing it to her, he's doing it to you guys, I know. It's just you don't walk in the church with the lights still out because where there used to be a wall, it ain't there now. You know, where you used to have a hallway, you're just going to bump your face right up against it. Uh, but anyhow, this is my wife. This is within a couple of hours after Sean was born. Just kind of transition through those, if you will. And uh, this kind of gives you, this gives you a view of one of the three most perfect, beautiful children that has ever been born to mankind. Isn't that, look at the hair. Next one's my favorite. There it is. And then that was made just yesterday. Thank you for saying, ah. Uh. <laughs> now I know how that feels. I've, I've got my phone up here, and I have a lot more pictures. If you'll see me after church, I'll be glad to show them to you. <laughs> because I have pictures of the other two perfect children also. Uh, they're just not here in church today, so it wouldn't do me any good to show you those. Uh, you may have heard the, the phrase or the concept that it takes a village to raise children. And I am a culmination of all of the people that God has brought into my life. They have all left some type of a thumbprint on me. And thinking back, my parents have long since passed away, but thinking back, I didn't have a perfect home, but I had one of those leave it to beaver, for those of you who are old enough to know who that is, I had one of those leave it to beaver kind of homes. I had, I had good parents. I had, I had a good mom, but she wasn't perfect. Uh, she's a little Jewish lady, and... Um, if you know anything about that culture, very fiery, very opinionated, and free to share it. And, uh, and I could have my opinion. My mom always allowed me to have my opinion. She just wanted me to know ahead of time it's wrong, but you can have it. You know, kind of a thing. And that's just, that was just mom. And after my wife and I got married, I just totally walked away from God. I grew up in a pastor's home. I totally walked away from God. I just... I don't want any of this stuff. And my mom would call me on the phone from time to time. She'd say, Ron, what did I do wrong? Where did I fail? What could I have done different? 
And so, Mama, if you're sitting there and you've ever thought that, from a kid who walked away from God who made his mother feel that way, can I just say with all of my heart, as honestly as I can before God, my mom didn't do anything to make me that way. I'm an autonomous, independent person directly accountable to God for everything I do. And I can't blame it on my wife or my kids or my dad or my mom or anyone else. What do we do when there's a screw-up in the lineage of trying to birth this perfect child? How do we handle that? Did you do everything right? Absolutely not. You younger mothers, full of dreams, full of hope, your desire is that you don't want to duplicate into your children's lives some of the pain and wounds and hurts that were given to you when you were a child. And so mental note to self, do this. Mental note to self, don't do that. And I commend you and applaud you for that, but you're not going to bat a thousand. You can't. We're humans. We have a sinful nature. We just sometimes do dumb things. And so there truly is only one perfect child that's ever been born, and of course that's the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he was born to what the Bible refers to as the Virgin Mary. And so if there's any woman who ever had influence that developed and produced a perfect child, it was her. Yes, God was his father, but yes, Mary was his mother. And she's the one who nursed him, and she's the one who, who helped him learn how to walk, and she's the one who potty trained him. She taught him how to speak and how to count. Those are just things that mamas tend to do. And so I began thinking, and there is a, a story in the book of Matthew that gives us the genealogy of this perfect child. And I'm just going to read a few of the verses through it because there are five women specifically mentioned that are part of the family history of Jesus. And I just want to throw out there to the young moms, middle-aged, old moms, grandmas, whatever it is, I just want to throw it out to you. As messed up as what some of these ladies' lives were, their genes still help produce from the human side the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Maybe there will be something that will give hope to you today in the midst of your hurt, your wound, and your dreams and your aspirations. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, verse 3. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Verse 5. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Verse 6. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. 
And I'm just going to take just a few moments and give an overview of these five ladies' lives. But I, I want to concentrate and focus more on Bathsheba. Because there's something unique or unusual about her story as it's written in Matthew chapter 1 that we've just read than all the others. So the first one listed is Tamar. Tamar married a husband and he died. She marries a second husband, which is the brother to the first husband, because in the culture in which they lived, when you got married, the husband's job was to provide a, a child to you, preferably a male child, so that all the inheritance that belongs to the father can be passed down to the children. And so she gets married, Tamar does, husband number one, no kids, husband number one dies. Now it's the job of brother number two to marry the wife of brother number one, to give her a child to inherit all of his older brother's stuff. So she marries husband number two. He dies. Now, first clue to husband number three. Don't marry her. Everybody who marries this woman dies. Run. So Tamar's looking around, she goes into her father-in-law and she says, you know, I don't have any kids and I want to keep the inheritance in the family line. Uh, there's no other sons that you have other than the youngest brother who's 11 years old. So the father-in-law says, I'll tell you what, make a deal with you. If you wait for my 11-year-old son to grow up into adulthood and marry him, I will let that happen. So Tamar agrees to it and she waits and the youngest son grows, matures, becomes a man, begins living an adult life, and Tamar is not receiving the promise that the father-in-law made to her. So she knows that father-in-law drives down this certain road every single day, and so she sits on the side of that road, and the Bible says that she made herself up to look like a prostitute. And sitting on the side of the road, her father-in-law stopped, came over to her, they worked out a price, and the price was his ring and his staff. And if he gave her his ring and staff, then she would go in with him and take care of his needs. So they worked that deal out, and the father-in-law doesn't even know that's his daughter-in-law. He just thinks truly she is a woman of the night. She gets pregnant. Well, the servants to the father-in-law says, have you heard about Tamar? And he says, no, what? What happened? Well, she's pregnant. And he said, well, she's going to die for that. She's bought a, brought a bad report on our family name. Bring her in here. So Tamar comes in before her father-in-law and he says, is it true? Are you pregnant? And she says, yes. And he said, who's the daddy? And she pulls out the ring. She says, whoever owns this. Boy, that would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? She's in the lineage of Christ. A woman who had marital relationships with their father-in-law and they weren't married and she pretended to be a prostitute. Let's look at lady number two, Rahab. Rahab were just told off the start, Rahab was the town prostitute. Again, there's kind of a pattern here. Her house is on the wall of the city so that when all the military guys come in and out of the city, right there's her house, and they can go in and pay whatever the cost is and have their needs taken care of and then go on about their day's business. 
Well, the Israelites, she's living in Jericho, and the Israelites are there, and they're getting ready to take over the city, and so they send in two spies, and these two spies go in, and the guards find out that there's spies here from Israel, and so they start looking for the two spies, and they run up to her house, Rahab's house. And she hides them and then lets them down over the wall in a basket. And she says, now I believe your God and your God is going to give Jericho to you and your nation. Now I've been kind to you guys. I want you to remember me when you come in and slaughter all of our family. And he said, you put this red cord out your window and when we see that there won't be one Jewish soldier that will touch you or anybody that's in this house with you. She becomes part of the line of, De- of, of Jesus, Ruth. Ruth was a non-believer. She got married to a believer. He died. Now, after this happens, there are no other brothers. So mom to the son who died is getting ready to go back to her family. And Ruth says, I'm going with you. And her mother-in-law, Naomi, says, no, you stay here with your family and worship your gods and you go on about your life. And Ruth said, no, I am committed to you and I'm going with you. So they go back to uh, her her mother-in-law's home and Ruth is sold at the public gate of the city in auction for a husband because somebody from her husband's family had to buy her. So Boaz stepped up and paid the price and bought her on public auction. One of the great, great whatever grandmothers of Jesus was a slave who was bought and sold. Then we have Bathsheba. Bathsheba had an affair and she got pregnant. She had an affair with David. After that, she conspired to have her husband killed. She marries David, and the baby that she got pregnant with by David, after it's born, that baby dies. And she just cannot be consoled over the loss of this child that she has. But the thing that I want to look at that sets her apart is in Matthew chapter 1, all of the other women are just stated their name as the mother. But the way that that Bathsheba is described is Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. 1,000 years from David to Jesus. And in 1,000 years, her sin of adultery still hasn't been wiped out. Everybody still remembers her as, oh, that's Uriah's wife. Well, no, when she had Solomon, she was David's wife. But the community didn't recognize it. They saw her still married to Uriah. How would you like to do a mess up somewhere in your earlier years and 40, 50, 60, 70 years later, Everybody still throw that in your face every time you come into a room. How how would you like that? Would there ever come a time that you would just stand your ground and look them in the eye and say, I paid the price for this. Back off. Leave me alone. 
This has been taken care of. We'll come back to that in just a moment. And then, of course, we had the Virgin Mary who had Jesus. Can you imagine never having to get on to your child ever? And when you say, oh, this is my son, Jesus, and he truly is perfect. Really? You got some water? Watch what he can do with it. That's my boy. Would that not be all? I, I, you're on one side of the lake, he's on the other, there's no boats, and he just says, okay, mom, I'll walk over. And he does it? Or you're out water skiing one day and the engine just, you know, dies? And Jesus just comes up to the edge of the boat and says, hey, mom, step out. I know you, you can't swim. It's okay. I got you. Just walk to me on the water. I, I can't imagine what went through her mind as she's bringing her child up and even after he becomes an adult. I do know the Bible says that everything that went on in Jesus' life, the Bible describes it this way. Mary pondered these things in her heart. You mamas remember things about your kids that no one else knows. You, you remember the first tooth they lost. You remember the first word they said. You remember the first time you had to change their diaper. You remember the first time they slept all night long. You remember the first teacher that you entrusted that little hand to. You remember all kinds of little things that you ponder inside of your heart, don't you? We dads aren't that way. It's enough for us to be able to remember our kids' name in order. I mean, there's just time, Sean, Brighton, whatever your name is, you know, not mama's. You pay attention to everything. Don't ever argue with your mama because she's always right. That's Mary. So now having said these things, let me go back and spend the remaining moments with you looking at Bathsheba because I think there's some things there that could be an encouragement and a help to all of us, male or female, mama or not, young or old. I think there's some things here that we can learn from this. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 15, and I'll skip around just a little bit. After Nathan returned to his house, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. The elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. Then on the seventh day, the child died. Verse 20. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord, and after that he returned to the palace and was served food, and he ate. Verse 24. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and slept with her, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved this child. First lesson, first thought. It's not fair. It's not fair to Bathsheba that she's known as Uriah's wife, implying her adulterous affair with the king. And yet we have prostitutes that are in Christ's lineage. And that's not mentioned. We have people who were sold at public auction. That's not mentioned. We have people who tricked their father-in-law to come in and 
have illicit relationships with them. And that's not mentioned. The only thing that's mentioned is, oh, that's Bathsheba. She's Uriah's wife. Again, names, tags, reputation that follows us. You know, there are some things in past, in your past, they may be true, they may not. But there are some things in your past that people will not let go. Please hear me. God has. God's let go of that. God's not holding that against you. God has forgiven you. And the description of God's forgiveness is it's buried in the deepest part of the sea. It's behind his back and he never turns and looks that way again. It's as far as the east is from the west. It's as high as the heavens are from the valleys beneath. God's forgiveness has been given to you. Live as if. Here's what I mean by that. Live as if that didn't happen. Or live as if that did happen. Live your life from how God sees you. Not your family or your neighbors or your co-workers or the people across the street. Live your life in the manner in which God sees you. One author that I read after trying to study for this message, if someone wrote my life story, there are some chapters I'd want them to leave out. I love that. If I was to take a vote today, my hand would be the first hand that's raised saying, I've got some chapters I wish that would not be written. If I could go back, buddy, that slate would be done differently if I could take my knowledge back with me. Next, God will let good plans go wrong during real crises. There are some time, my wife and I used to role play. What would happen if our daughter came home pregnant? What would happen if our son came home and said, I got a girl pregnant? What would happen if they, you know, started on drugs or became an alcoholic, whatever? We would role play when they were little so that we would learn how to respond rather than react. Okay, so that's just what we did. And we had some really, really good plans. And it was just like God sometimes, and he just steps in and says, Chink, and turns that. And we're sitting there saying, what? How did this happen? I mean, my son has given a message to Grace Church on a circumstance that happened in our family with one of our children, and I'm just telling you that my wife and I role-played every scenario so that none of our children will ever go through that, and one of our kids went through that. Just basically walked away and said, Mom, Dad, I hate you. I don't need you in my life anymore. Drop dead. Now, he didn't use those words, but that's basically what our child said to us. That hurts. We have, we have played every scenario of every conversation we ever had with him 
trying to see what we did wrong. And sometimes, mama, you have to come to the realization that your child has a sin nature and will answer to God for him or herself. Had you been the perfect parent, your child would still rebel. It happened with God in the garden. You can't get a more perfect daddy than God. And he had two kids, and they both walked away from him. Learn to give comfort to those who are hurting. I, I get tickled at David. He prays, he fasts, he mourns, won't eat anything, hears that the child dies, gets up, takes a bath, puts on cologne so he smells good, changes his clothes, goes to worship, sits down to eat. That's us men. You know, okay, it's another day, let's go. Your mama died, oh, I'm so sorry. Bless God, he answered my prayers. No. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I'll pay for that one later. David went in and comforted Bathsheba, the Bible says. My wife, one night, we were laying in bed, and she just began a prayer with God, more of a conversation than a prayer. She began a prayer with God. And it lasted for approximately two hours. I'm not exaggerating on that. And I just laid there and I held my wife in my arms as she convulsed in sobs. Wanting God to do something to heal this breach with her child. It was one of those holy moments I couldn't speak, I couldn't... I dare not even enter into it. I believe with all my heart, God was personally there taking notes and saying, Marilyn, I understand. Marilyn, I understand. Marilyn, I understand. Two hours. My kids will never know the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours after they've gone to bed and gone to sleep that I've woke up and my wife's nowhere to be found, and I walk back to the back part of the house, and there's my wife, and she goes to each one of my kids' rooms, and she lays her hands on them while they're asleep, and she sings a song to them very quietly so she doesn't wake them, and she prays a prayer of God's benediction and blessing over those children. I never did that, but Mama did. Every one of us have one thing in common. We all have a mama. I have said this many times. I would give everything I have, everything I have, if God would give me five minutes with my mom. I would wrap my arms around her. And I would hug her as tight as I could. And I would assure her of my love and my respect and my honor and my appreciation for everything that she's done for me. Because unfortunately, what I paid her back with was a broken life and I rejected her God. I regret that. That's one of those chapters I'd write again. 
I could. You go home. You call your mama. You go see her. She's close enough to do it. If she's already deceased, sit down and write her a letter and express your love and your appreciation. Is she perfect? No, but she's your mama. She deserves that. That's your wife, the mother of your children. How could you talk to her that way? The plaque that hung in my kid's bathroom when they were growing up said, the greatest gift a dad could give to his children is to love their mother. Give it a try. Goodness gracious. Well, let me close with this. It was the loss of the first child that produced Solomon. When my wife and I got married, we just wanted to have kids. We wanted to have them right off the bat, and we wanted to have them very close together so that after they're grown and on their own, Meryl and I are still young enough that we can party. That's, that was our plan. So after a few months, Marilyn comes home. She says, Ron, I'm pregnant. And we're all excited. And we go out. We buy the furniture. You know, we get the drapes for the windows. We get all the diapers and little mobiles that go over the, you know, the, the crib to make your kid cross-eyed because it's right here and he's trying to focus on it, you know, kind of thing. We, we did all that. We called everybody we knew, told them we were pregnant, you know. And sometime later, Marilyn came in, all broke up, and she said, I lost the baby. Why, God, would you do this? Why would you kill our dream? What's up with this? Well, again, a few months later, Marilyn comes to me and she says, I'm pregnant again. And you saw the picture of that one. Now, if God came to me today and he said, Ron, I'll go back in time with you and I'll give you your original dream. I'll let you have that baby. I'll spare you from going through all of that pain and all of that upheaval in your life. I will spare you from that. All you got to do is say, yes, God, I want that. I'm telling you with God as my witness, I would say no thank you. Because if I said yes to that, I would miss out on Sean. Because had we kept the first baby, we wouldn't have had the second. And I'm not willing to give up the second. Because we really didn't lose the first. My wife and I are just a couple that believes that life begins in the womb. And when we lost that baby, I believe the baby went to heaven. And one day we'll be together in heaven with that child. It will be the perfect baby at that time. I just want you to know because he'll be in heaven. And Sean and Brian and Misty will be there with their families. What a party. Now, there are some hurts that every one of you ladies have in your life. And if God gave you the magic wand and said, wave it over your life and I'll take the hurt away, sometimes we sit there and say, yeah, that's a deal. I'll take it. But you would not be who you are had you not gone through that pain. God did not make a mistake with you when he chose you as your child's parent. He's not going to sit there and say, oh, I messed that one up. 
God's not going to do that. God went throughout all the history of mankind, and when he wanted to have your child produced in this world, God went up and down the line of all the women who will ever live, and he says, I choose this one to be his or her mama. You're not a mistake, and you're not a screw-up. You're God's choice. Celebrate that. Rejoice in that. Walk around and say, uh-huh, that's me. I'm the perfect mama for you. I don't do everything perfect, but I'm God's special gift to my children. You can thank God for that one. And the rest of us, we need to thank God for that one. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, thanks for letting us be here today. Thank you for every mother who's in this room. Regardless of how they got that name, whether it's adoption or uh, blended marriage or birth, whatever it is, bless them, encourage them, send them out today with the complete confidence that you're going with them, you are God, and you have selected them especially for that child. And may they praise your holy name for that privilege. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen.